You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you with us uh, this morning here at Calvary. For those watching online, thank you for joining us. My name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we're in the middle of a series called The God Perspective. We're going to dive into that in a second. Just want to mention in two weeks, so not next Sunday, but the following Sunday, we're kicking off a new series called Don't Be an Idiot. Um, I know, it's really harsh, isn't it? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, don't be an idiot? In the best possible way, Okay. And so this series, we're walking, we're gonna be looking at what does Proverbs say? You know, the book of Proverbs tells us that one of the greatest pursuits we can have in our life is the pursuit of wisdom. And um, we oftentimes uh, throw wisdom at best practices in our world and, and in what others are doing, but, but God's word gives us the framework for wisdom. And so throughout the month of October, we're gonna be looking at that and how we apply that to our relationships, to our finances, how we function at work, in our workplace, um, how we live our lives. And so uh, that's gonna be kicking off in two weeks. So uh, if you have one of those friends, feel free to invite them in two weeks and tell them, hey, we're gonna learn how not to be an idiot, all right? And uh, uh, it'll, be a good, it'll be a good day. Now, have you ever wondered uh, this, this question, where are Sunday sermons come from? I don't know if you've ever wondered this question. I've had people ask me this all the time. Where are Sundays, like, do, do I or anyone else that's preaching up here, their messages each week, do those come from like a website, some sermon resource? Like, do we have subscription and they just like email us the sermon every week and we preach that? Where does that come from? Even beyond that, how do we determine what message series we do month to month? Uh, like, is that something that is standardized maybe across a bunch of different churches or, or is that original to us? How do, where does that come from? And if you've ever asked that question, you're in luck today because I want to give you a little a glimpse of what, what does that look like? Why do we do that? Uh, for more traditional, maybe mainline churches, uh, you know, like Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist, those churches, uh, they use something known as a lectionary. And uh, a lectionary uh, basically gives them the structure for their sermons, their homilies, their messages each week. And and a lectionary is essentially a book that maps out the messages for an entire year. Often, churches who are part of one specific denomination will all use similar lectionaries. For example, the Presbyterian church might use one lectionary, while the Lutheran church would use a different one. Here at Calvary, we don't necessarily use a lectionary, but we do have a plan for the year. Every fall, I get a team of leaders from our church together for an evening, and we pray and plan out all of the series and messages for that upcoming year. Uh, This is really important. I I, I usually bring a general outline uh, to kind of help guide us, and that general outline really has three aims. One, where I sense the Holy Spirit is leading us as a church. Two, uh, answering the question of how can we provide a healthy diet of God's word uh, to our church so we're not just like preaching through the book of John for a whole year, but we're we're talking about the New Testament, the Old Testament, and and, uh, different topics. And and so we have a healthy diet, just like it's not good if you just eat bananas all day. Um, Bananas are good, they're good for you, but if you eat just that all day, you know, that's not good. You want a good variety of diet, same with God's word. And then the third one is how can we, how, we, how can we address concerns or issues that we sense our community, our church might face in that year? From there, we walk week by week, month by month, through the year, and we map everything out. 
And you might ask, why do we do that? Uh, I don't know what your church background is, if you have any, and <clears throat> maybe that sounds odd to you. Uh, and, and this is why I'm sharing this with you, not just to give you a little glimpse or an FYI. It's, it's because, here's the deal, a plan allows you to be intentional, not reactional. So a plan allows you to be intentional, not reactional. You've, we've all been there, we're in those situations where we didn't have a plan in place and we have to react to what's happening. You see, we take this time to pray and to plan in advance uh, because one of our core values here at Calvary is this, that we start by seeking God through his word and spirit. And that's really important to us. Uh, that value drives us. We want God's word to be our guide instead of our last minute impulses, instead of the swaying trends of culture. So, so what you hear week to week up here, here at Calvary isn't something that we just thought up the night before. Like I didn't just based on you know, what I was scrolling through on social media or you know, what I just opened up my Bible to that day. Uh, this is what I'm gonna preach from. It's not any of that. It's, it's, it's something that has been processed, prayed over, researched and discussed long before it was ever preached from this platform. With that, all that advanced planning and preparation, I am continually amazed year after year after preaching hundreds of messages here at how incredibly on point God's timing is. How amazing topics, passages that we cover. It's not, not because I'm that smart. It's not because we're that smart necessarily. It's because, as our value says, the Holy Spirit inspires us and God's word guides us. So, so maybe that answers a question like you've wondered before, but, but what does that have to do really with you today? What does that have to do with your life? Well, in our personal lives, we face things, we see things, we experience things that more often than not, we find ourselves wondering, how are we supposed to proceed? Like, what am I supposed to do with this? How do I process this event or this issue, this situation in our world? And so in this uncertainty, our tendency as human beings is to respond based on how we maybe feel in the moment or how society is telling us to respond or even what others around us are doing to respond. So we look around and we say, well, it looks like everyone's moving in this direction, so maybe we should move in that direction. Or, or, or we feel one way about that in the moment, and so we respond in that moment. So the question is, what actually determines our response or guides how we process what's happening all around us? This is really what the three weeks of this series are all about. It's in confusing or uncertain times, the question we have to answer is, what is ultimately guiding us? Like, What's the Google Maps that is telling us, you know, recalibrating or redirecting or, or turn here or turn left? Like, when we're walking through these uncertain moments, what is it that's guiding us? Is it popular opinion? Is, is, is it how that issue, situation, or event simply makes us feel? What is it that's guiding us? And, and this is what we started talking about last week, and, and we're going to continue talking about next Sunday. Uh, what is the structure, what is the filter or the lens that we interpret our world through that impacts how we choose to proceed? And, and this is what we're talking about, this God perspective. Like, if we can grasp God's perspective on our world and what's happening, we'll find ourselves in a better place. Now, let me lay the groundwork for this. Think, think about what makes us simply define an event or a situation in our world as quote unquote good, or what causes us to categorize something as quote unquote bad. I, I know those are really broad terms to kind of blanket there, but, but what is it that causes us to place experiences, behaviors, events, issues that we see happening across our world in one of those two categories or boxes? Oftentimes our natural filter and our response is to interpret the happenings of our world 
based on the potential outcomes. Like something that is painful or could be painful is seen as bad, and something that would bring about happiness or joy is seen as good. And because of this, it's often dependent on how it, make, how it affects us, makes us feel, or, or maybe even benefits the world at large. For example, maybe as a kid for you, uh, the question is how did you know it was wrong to steal or to lie or to tackle your brother or sister? It was probably because if you did those things or even hinted at those things, something painful was going to happen to you, right? It's a consequence. And, and, and because of that, we are taught that those things are quote unquote bad. When in, well, in today's society, we found ourselves oftentimes using very similar logic. We, so we, we take these issues, we take positions or stances on all kinds of topics or significant events, and we pass it through the same filter. We ask, how would that make me feel, or how would that potentially make someone else feel? Or, or if it would bring about physical or emotional pain, then, then we would categorize that in the bad category. Or, or if it would bring pleasure or happiness, it, it goes in the good category. But today, I want to present this question. What if rather than taking a natural or somewhat normal response, what if we could take a different approach? An approach that brings about a response not determined in the moment, but rather something that was determined in advance. You see, this normal natural framework that many of us use to categorize things in our world can easily result in a really subjective filter through which we come to conclusions about big issues and small issues. Uh, The saying, you do you, epitomizes this approach. In other words, you do what works for you, I'll do what works for me, and we're all good. But in these situations, rather than proceeding with what we feel, what if instead we could do something different? What if we could pause? You see, we we live in such a fast-paced culture that we've been taught to read something or see something and, and then quickly react or respond and proceed based on what we feel in the moment, what hits us in the moment. We're told that this is being true to our real selves. What you feel in the moment, what, what you sense in the moment, is probably your best reaction. But what if instead, what if our response was to pause? And, and here's a simple thought that I wanna kind of walk through today. Rather than proceed, we choose to pause. When we face a situation that is uncertain in our world, uh, an issue, an event, catastrophe, Rather than proceed and act in the moment, what if we choose to pause? What do we do when we pause here? Three simple things that we'll talk about today. First, listen to the Holy Spirit's voice. The second is learn learn what the Bible says. And the third is live out a response based on those two things. So we listen, we learn, and we live. The, The challenge in our current world, though, is that opinions have come to carry more weight than even principles. We have talking heads on 24-hour news channels or online news outlets telling us what we should think or how we should respond to this or to that. And and every disaster, every tragedy, every global issue gets processed through this filter that is widely based on the feelings in that moment, the response in that moment, rather than the bigger picture that it all fits into. It's like reading one page of a book then defining the entire book based on that simply one page. But, But when we choose to pause instead of proceed, it gives us a chance to zoom out and to see a bigger picture and a more clear framework of our world. You see, proceeding based on what society is doing or what the experts tell us causes us to approach the world with a perspective. It is a perspective, but it's a skewed perspective. 
pausing allows us to step back and look at things from the creator's perspective, recognizing this God perspective that's still in place. And if our interpretation of every situation in our world or every issue in society is dictated by the news agencies or talking heads, we stop learning to process the world for ourselves. We stop learning to process the world through any other lens because we aren't pausing to step back. And the filter the broader world uses, especially the news world, is built on a perspective that is dictated by a very specific desired response. That desired response is to keep you coming back so that the experts can continue to interpret the world for you. That, that coming back happens by instilling fear of what might happen if you don't or, or how every catastrophe issue is, is proof that the world is falling apart at the seams and we need to do something. And from that filter, which is a filter every news agency on every spectrum side of the issue or outlet functions with, we will find ourselves moving from one anxiety to another anxiety, from one catastrophe to another. The Apostle Paul, however, he writes to the church in Rome about an entirely different goal, desired outcome, a different landing point that, that we could actually pursue. He writes that scripture can actually guide us and help us process what's happening in our world. And the result of this isn't more stress, more anxiety or chaos, but something entirely different. Here's what he wrote in Romans chapter 15, verse four. He said, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. He's speaking of scripture. Everything written in scripture is there to teach us. And the question is, well, what's it trying to teach us? Here's what he said. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures that you can endure and the encouragement they provide, what's the end goal? We might have, can you say that word with me? Hope. That we might have hope. That is an entirely different thing. So how can we have hope when thousands of people die in a tragedy, how can we have hope when a third world country is decimated because of a storm or, or something that takes place? Not because the talking heads are telling us to have hope, not, not because it simply makes us feel better, but because we are willing to step back and pause and to not be lost in the moment, but see God's bigger picture. See, rather than proceed, we pause, listen. We listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We learn what the Bible says about this and we live out our response based on those two things. We read in scripture that tragedies, disasters, and difficult times are definitely not good. They are horrible, but, but we see that God can work all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. That's really easy to forget in the moment in the midst of a collective tragedy. It's really hard to forget when, it's easy to forget when we, when we have a, a societal outcry about something. In fact, Peter, the apostle Peter, he would later make an interesting statement about this in his first epistle, which is simply a letter that he wrote. We know today as the book of First Peter in the second part of the Bible, the book of First uh, Peter there in the New Testament. He, he said this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. Now, this is such an interesting statement uh, because you have to read between the lines a little bit. What is Peter talking about? He's saying, you have to be willing to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope. I don't know about you, I don't have people walking up to me all the time asking, why do you have hope? 
I don't know if you do, maybe you do. Maybe you have like a line at your cubicle every morning when you get to work and people are asking you like, Bob, why do you have hope? Susie, why do you have hope? They're probably not asking that. Why would they ask you that? Because you are approaching catastrophic, difficult issues, uh, confusing, complicated things in an entirely different way. You have a different framework, a different perspective. And, and he's saying you need to be ready to answer because you're approaching things in a different way. That's why you land on hope. This is what Peter's explaining. This gives us a foundation that doesn't get worked up or hyped up at every situation, every difficult event. And not that we don't care because as God's people, we should care deeply. But when we possess this hope that Peter writes about, that we find ourselves, even in the darkest moments in our world, still holding on to this thread of hope, holding on to this understanding that, that, that we're looking for the moments and the, the, the doors that we can walk through where, where God is working something good out. Yeah, we see catastrophes. We see people die or, or tragedies happen or issues that are so complicated. But we're looking for that one moment, that, that thing where we see God is working good out of this. And because of that hope we possess, because we pause and not impulsively proceed, we will find ourselves responding uh, very different than our culture does. On top of that, uh, we have an entirely different tone in how we approach these things. When you base your response on what you feel or others feel in that exact moment, we can express a wide spectrum of emotions, from outrage to anger to depression. That emotion is right there at the surface. But Peter goes on to explain that when we reorient ourselves around this bigger picture, the, this posture of hope, it doesn't cause us to hide our emotions, but to apply them in a healthier, much more productive way. The very next verse in First Peter chapter 3, uh, actually second part of verse 15, here's what he said. He said, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. What's he saying? He's saying, you don't need to defend yourself. You don't need to get so much emotion that you lose control, but that you can respond with gentleness, with respect for the other person, because you have a strong belief of what God is doing. And he goes on, verse 17. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good and for doing evil. That it's not just our perspective, but also how we respond that's important. Unfortunately, uh, because we've often missed this, the American church has often become a pawn in the hands of the culture. We are swayed by this trend or that trend. We align with something simply because this political party does or because that talking head said we should. <clears throat> we are referred to as Christians. And, and, and what's happened in more recent years is as Christians, we've become a, a voting block. We aren't a voting block. We are the people of God. And what does the word Christian mean? It literally means little Christ. We don't uh, respond with an ear to the ground of our world looking for our marching orders. No, we respond with our faces toward heaven. What does that mean? That means that it doesn't fit into the boxes our world has created. It doesn't fit. We, we don't just respond because one political party, one talking head, one news agency says we should do this. No, we do what God's word says. And let me be clear, this is not a new issue for the church. This isn't like something that's just happened. 
even in the first century, in the opening decades of the church's existence, they faced the same struggle. In fact, James, uh, who is the half-brother of Jesus, he wrote a letter to the broader church that we know today as the book of James. It's near the end of the New Testament. And, and he writes about this in the opening paragraph of this letter. Here's what he wrote. It's, now, we have it now in James chapter one, verses five, starting verse five. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. What's he saying? He's saying, if you're willing, if you need wisdom, if you need guidance, if you need to know how to respond, ask God. He wants to give willingly, freely, that wisdom, that guidance. But you have to trust it. You have to trust it. If you don't trust his word, his word doesn't mean anything. And verse eight, he, he goes on, he says, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. When we are impulsive, we become unstable because one moment we're here and the next moment we're there. That's not what God has called his people to be. I talked about this last week in, Philipp, in Psalms 1 that we're to be like trees planted by living waters. They were planted and rooted. See, rather than proceed, we choose to pause. We listen to the Holy Spirit's voice. We learn what the Bible says about this. And we live out our response to these two things. See, what, is, what, is, what this is talking about is listening to a godly principle, not vetoing it based on a popular opinion. Allowing opinions to be our guide causes us to be like a little toddler trying to pick a toy in the middle of the toy department. One minute we like this, the next minute we like that. And, and if you have a toddler, if you've been with any toddlers in a toy aisle, you know you're gonna be there a while if you're waiting for them to be sold out on one toy usually. Uh, everything that catches their eye is interesting. And that's what happens when we allow opinions to guide us. We end up making a decision based almost entirely on the moment but God's perspective is based on this bigger purpose he has for the world. And here's the deal. The elephant in the room, so to speak, is, is that the Bible and the news headlines can often appear to be contradictions of each other, like they're in, in, in war with each other. Pastors, churches, other Christian voices can rail against the news media or the talking heads because they appear to be the enemy. But they're not. They're not the enemy. Instead, I would argue that these two sources, the Bible and news outlets, actually can complement each other when approached in the proper way. Author theologian Karl Barth uh, was quoted in Time Magazine, May 1st, 1966, with this statement. He said, take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both, but interpret the newspaper from your Bible. When the news headlines become the driver of our worldview, we will become, as James says, like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. We're all over the place. We can be swayed by whatever popular opinions out there. And uh, not just the American church, but throughout the last 2,000 years, the church in general has found itself oftentimes doing this. Not that we had newspapers back in the 1600s, but but that popular opinions sway the church because we want certain outcomes. We want influence and, and we want to be accepted and we want to be uh, looked at in, in, a, in a favorable way. And, and so the church has done this in different ways. But what James is trying to write is we don't need to be swayed. The Bible is our guide. 
Scripture should be our inspiration. News headlines are application. You can't separate the two. Because news headlines is, is what's happening in our world. And we can't be oblivious to that. But the Bible should be our inspiration and our guide. Rather than proceed, we choose to pause. Because then we can listen to the Holy Spirit's voice. We can learn what the Bible says. And we can live out a response to those two things. And let me, let me show you this thread of, of meaning that we see in this, in the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. If you're not familiar, there's like the Old Testament, the first part, the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we see these, this thread of this. In 2 Timothy chapter three, Paul is writing to young Timothy, his second letter, this new pastor in the church of Ephesus. And he, he's closing out his letter, uh, beginning to close out his letter. And he makes this statement. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. What's he saying? He said the Bible is this framework. It's this amazing framework that guides us and directs us. It helps us grow. It helps us correct things. It helps us uh, uh, live our lives in a better way. And in verse 17, he said, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the scripture scripture is this framework that, that guides us and directs us. Why? So that we could be Equipped to do something good, right? In Philippians 1, Paul writes this to the church in Philippi, chapter 6. He said, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So you see this idea, like God has something good in store. In Romans 8, 28, I mentioned this earlier. He said, uh, Paul writes to the church in Rome, and we know that in all things... All things, everything, not some things, all things, uh, that God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And, and we love that verse, but we use it out of context. Sometimes we say, well, well this is really bad, but God's going to work good. No, God doesn't work good in everything. It says he works all things for good, but there's a comma there, which means the sentence continues. All, all, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, meaning those who are willing to see the world through his perspective, his purpose, what he's trying to accomplish. You can't hijack the gospel to get your political ends. You can't hijack the gospel just to, to, to get something you want. That's not what this is saying. He's saying that God will work good things out for people who are willing to see things from his perspective and work towards his purpose. So what does this mean for us? It doesn't mean that we should be oblivious as Christians to what's happening in our world. It doesn't mean that we should hold up in our little Christian communes and act like everything's awesome and great while the world is burning. That's not what that means. When the news headlines become the driver of our worldview, we find ourselves in a dangerous place. What it means is that we have this strong belief which influences our interpretation of the headlines. That belief is that God is big enough to still bring purpose even out of pain. That this God can bring good even out of devastation. Our natural impulse or response in the moment that this is the worst thing ever. If you have kids, I have kids, you know, they you know, cut their finger or, or something disappointing happens with their friends or at school and, and they're convinced this is the worst moment ever. Life is over from this point on. If you have teenagers, you've probably experienced this. Their boyfriend breaks up with them. Their girlfriend breaks up with them. Their lives are finished. At the age of 16, they're ready to throw in the towel, live in the basement, and never see the light of day again. Like, it's over, right? 
This is what we respond to in our world. But God has this bigger picture that even in pain, even in devastation, that there can be small threads of good that he's going to work out of it. So rather than proceed, we choose to pause. We listen to the Holy Spirit's voice. We learn what the Bible says and we live out our response to those two things. As I mentioned earlier, we often interpret the things that bring about pain as quote unquote bad. But we see with the help of God's word of of scripture that we can interpret pain through a different lens that simply uh, our ever-changing feelings or the ever-changing waves of our culture. If we can get a glimpse of God's purpose, even in the worst situations or even in the most confusing issues, our posture can actually become a gateway towards something good rather than bad, the bad that it appears to be in the moment. This is because scripture, scripture should be our inspiration. News headlines are application. Scripture is our guide. This, this, reality is, this, this, this reality is when you hold to a biblical worldview and, and hold biblically based standards, you will often find yourselves at odds with different groups in our world. We find ourselves adopting stances or positions or issues that don't fit the normal political party categories that contradict where society says we should stand. From racial injustice to, to the Bible, uh, Bible's view of sexuality, when the Bible is our inspiration, we will find ourselves both loved and hated, oftentimes by both sides of an issue. We won't be loved by one side and hated by the other. We often are loved and hated by both. It's because we're not responding or acting based on the framework of society, but ultimately based on God's bigger picture that he's painting of this world. And this is how we fulfill Jesus' prayer in Matthew chapter six, when he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we get to be part of bringing a glimpse of heaven to earth. That doesn't happen just because we are good enough or we figured this out on our own. It happens when we start looking at the world through God's lens from his perspective because he has a purpose that he's working out. We don't. If you've ever sat with a, an artist or, or someone who's shaping something with clay or pottery at the beginning stages, it doesn't make any sense. I remember as a kid, one of my favorite things, and I've tried to introduce my kids to this already, is Bob Ross. Does anyone like Bob Ross? I mean, yes, who doesn't love Bob Ross? The guy's amazing, right? And he would start off with just a blank canvas, and he'd start putting these little brush strokes on the canvas, and you're like, where is he going with this? And he'd call his little friends over here and some little friends over there, and this tree needs a little buddy. And, and, and you start to see slowly the picture he had in his mind start to come into focus, right? We live in a world that there's an artist, a grand artist, that God, the creator of all things, has this incredible masterpiece that he's trying to create. And if we're looking at it from our perspective, we're like, that's an ugly canvas with like a paint blotch on it. No one wants that. But if you're willing to see things from God's perspective, you start to see the beginnings of a masterpiece. You start to see the glimpses of the good that God is trying to bring even out of bad, even out of difficulty. If you've ever watched Bob Ross enough, you've watched him when he's made a mistake. He like accidentally puts something where he's not supposed to be. 
And you know what he does? He takes that accident, that mistake, and he makes it a bush or a mountain or something else. And you're like, wow, that actually looks like really good. This is what the master artist God can do. And, and what we can be part of accomplishing when we're willing to take his perspective. Not just listen to how people feel about everything. If, if, this wasn't possible in that time, but if you took a poll throughout a Bob Ross episode of where people are and what they're thinking about what he's painting, you know, and that would, be, that would dictate the outcome, we would have not, we've been robbed of Bob Ross and the masterpieces he created. God isn't like running pools and sending text messages to the world saying, what do you guys think? He has a grand picture. And if we are willing to adopt his grand picture, his perspective, we'll get to see what only his perspective and approach can produce. This is how Jesus could pray that prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we have this amazing privilege to get to be part of that. And this can't happen unless scripture becomes our inspiration and and the news headlines become our application. Because we need God's word to be a guide, but we need the news headlines to make sure it's applied to the right stuff. If, if, If we're applying God's word to what happened in the 70s, man, are we out of touch. God's word is relevant for 2023, still today. We have to be willing to apply it. As the worship team comes and we prepare to close today, I want to leave you with these words of Jesus. He, he said these words after a long discourse with his disciples on all that was going to go wrong in the world. In, in John chapter 16, the opening parts of that chapter, Jesus goes on this long kind of description of this is what's going to happen and this is what's going to go wrong This is one of those moments where Jesus is pulling back the curtain like, hey guys, I know you're having the time of your life. Like this is your best life ever. You're walking around with me, watching me heal people and raise the dead and do these miracles. Like this is pretty awesome. But let me pull back the curtain for a second. Things are gonna get bad and not just like a little bad. Not like you're gonna have a hangnail or like you're gonna get a red light when you needed a green light. Like things are gonna get devastating. And and he paints this picture And after this long discourse of all that's going to happen, the pains, the sorrows, the disappointments, the tragedies, after explaining all that was going to happen, he makes this really powerful, timely statement at the end of John, John's gospel, John chapter 16, verse 33. He said this. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now, I don't know if you have any friends that like like negative Nancys, no offense to the Nancys here, but like who, who can just harp on all that's going wrong. Every day you come to, to, to work and they're like, well, this is happening or man, the boss doesn't like us today or like, you know, those, those people who are super negative. When you hear those things, we don't usually say, oh, I feel better about myself. Man, I have so much peace about what's happening in the world. Now that you just shared information with me that I wasn't aware of, of what's happening in Africa or Asia or South America, I thought everything was great today. I actually got the right drink from Starbucks. I got all green lights on my way to work. And on top of that, that grumpy guy who works security actually smiled at me and said hello today. Like, this is a great day. And now you've ruined it because you told me all these problems in our world. Like, we don't generally respond to that kind of information with peace. And Jesus said, now that I've told you these things, all that's gonna go wrong, 
I told you so that you can have peace. Like, what, a, what crazy guy is this? And he goes this. Here's what he said. This is what brings peace. The very next statement, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks for stating the obvious. You're going to have trouble. Being a Christian doesn't mean that your life is easy. Being a Christian doesn't mean that, like, everything magically works out. You are not a fairy tale being lived out in real life. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not the gospel. That's not what the Bible says. If you've been told that, I am so sorry. That's not truth. Jesus said it in John 16, 33. In this world, you're going to have trouble. And there's a period. There's no comma. It's not like, hey, you're going to have trouble, but it won't be too bad. No, it'll be bad. He said this to disciples, each and every one of them, that would be killed, martyred for their belief in this gospel. Peter hung upside down from a cross. Some of them dismembered, uh, burned at the stake. Some, some, uh, John was placed in boiling oil. Like, devastating. And he sums it up. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Here's the the key. He said, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In other words, man, you're going to face some really difficult moments. This world is going to face tragedies, loss beyond what it's ever known before. We're going to face issues that are so complex, so complicated. They aren't clean and black and white. And you're going to be confused. You're going to be uncertain. You're going to wonder, how do we navigate our way through this event or this issue or this situation and you're going to be so wrapped up in the moment and the feelings in that moment that you won't know how to proceed and Jesus said in those moments don't proceed pause pause take heart pause and remember the kid's song goes he's still got the whole world in his hands take heart I've overcome the world That doesn't mean all the pain and difficulty disappears. It means that he's working good. He's working good. And if you can find the pathways of good that God is working out in every situation, circumstance, we find ourselves living the way of Jesus. We find ourselves helping shape this beautiful world that God is trying to create. This is what he wants us to do. We are his partners in painting that picture. We're his partners. We aren't partners with anyone else. No political party, no news agency, no, no, no expert on what's happening in our world, no analyst. We're his partners to paint that picture. And we can't paint the picture, we can't see that world happen if we don't hold to his perspective. And here's what I wanna ask you to do today. In your response to every tragedy, every natural disaster, every trending news story? Is your response one of anxiety, worry, or stress? Or one of God-inspired peace? When you watch the news on TV or scroll and you see a news headline on social media, does it produce anxiety and stress like, one more thing? Or does it produce peace? And when I say peace, that doesn't mean we're ignorant of what's happening or even that we abdicate our responsibility for what's happening in our world because we have deep responsibility. And we'll talk more about that next Sunday. But God's people, I believe, should always be in the middle of the mess. We shouldn't be hold off on our own thing like, you guys did this, 
You made your bed, now you gotta sleep in it. No, we should be those who are willing to get ourselves dirty, get in the mud, get in the meat, get in the mess of situations, circumstances, issues, and events, and help. So I'm not saying that. We'll talk more about that tomorrow, next week. What I am asking, though, is to be aware of your internal gauges. Are the stories, the issues, the events in our world producing more and more anxiety? Or are you able to find peace, even in the most difficult moments of our world? And and feeling anxiety doesn't make you bad. Instead, it actually is an indicator that you're human. And it's a reminder that before we proceed, we need to pause. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice. We need to learn what the Bible says. We need to live out our response to those two things. And and practically, as we, 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 we wrap up here, what does that mean? How, how do we do that? First, we're gonna to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice. Take time to stop, to be still, and to learn to recognize the promptings of the Holy Spirit. This might be something that is very foreign to you. The only way to learn the voice of the Holy Spirit, the promptings of the Holy Spirit in your life, is to practice it. There's no way, I can't tell you five steps to hear the Holy Spirit's voice in your life. In his book, Immediate Obedience, author Rod Loy talks about the importance of hearing the Holy Spirit's prompting and acting, not spending a long time processing and analyzing because what the Holy Spirit speaks is clear for that moment. As you act, you learn to discern what is and what is not the Holy Spirit. That means that there are times where you might sense the prompting of the Holy Spirit and maybe it wasn't God. I would rather, I would rather you miss that and do something good in God's name and for his glory, then you hold back because you're not completely certain. If you're like 25, 30% certain and it's something that will be done for God's glory, act. What's the worst thing you're gonna do? People are gonna be like, thank you, Jesus. That's not a bad thing, okay? Learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, his promptings. And, And he doesn't just speak about the big things like, do I buy this car or this house? Do I take this career or not? He also speaks about the little things. Like, I know my, my coworker that everyone hates has just found out they have cancer. Should I go pray with them? Or, you know, that, that person uh, that's from that other department was really angry with me. Should I maybe go talk to them and just let them know that they're cared and loved for? Maybe they're going through something. Maybe the Holy Spirit prompts you like, maybe they're going through something at home and this is just how it's fleshed itself out. This is what makes the people of God so powerful in our world. This is how we become catalysts for change because we have this X factor. His name is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us when we're willing to listen, when we're willing to pause. The first part is listen to the Holy Spirit to the Holy Spirit's voice. The second, learn what the Bible says about this. While the Bible doesn't give an explanation on every specific situation in our world, you need to ask yourself two questions. And if if you have a piece of paper, these are two really good questions that uh, you should write down. Not because I'm that smart, but uh, these are really good questions. The first question is this. What response is in line with the life the Bible calls me to live? 
what response to this situation, this circumstance, is in line with the life that the Bible calls me to live? Not, what does the Bible say about this? Because there are a lot of things. Like the Bible doesn't say, it's not like, you know, 2 Timothy, it says, this is how you should respond when a hurricane hits Florida. This is what you do. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that, right? But, but better, what response is in line with the life the Bible calls you to live? And the second question is what are the principles from scripture that can apply to this situation? And, and you might ask those two questions and you don't know the answer. And when you don't know the answer to those two questions, find someone that you think would know the answer to those questions and ask them. Just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean that there isn't an answer. It just might be that you don't know the answer and that's okay to not know the answer. There's a lot of things we don't know the answers to. Find someone that you think might know the answer and ask them. When you can listen to the Holy Spirit's voice, when you can learn what the Bible says, then, and only then, after you've paused, you're able to live a life that brings glory to God, is in line with his picture that he's trying to to paint. Then you live out your response based on those two things. Once you've paused, once you've listened to these promptings, then you can act. You can live out the love and the passion and the gentleness that we are called to express in God's word. Then, as you've adopted this God perspective, you can be grabbing that paintbrush and helping paint that picture that God is trying to paint, God is trying to create for this world. I know, man, it's a mess out there, isn't it? It is so chaotic. Depending on how much interaction you have with people in our society and our world, it's getting to be more and more of a mess. And it's complicated, it's confusing. If you have kids who are in high school, like it's so complicated, confusing. It's a a different world. How are we to respond? Listen, listen to the Holy Spirit's voice. Learn what the Bible says and then live out your life based on those two things. I know that sounds so oversimplified. It's It's not that easy, but it is that simple. My hope for you isn't that you go home today and you're like, Pastor Nick is a genius. Calvary is the best place ever. I can't believe I lived my life up to this point without it. None of that needs to be said or is even true. My hope for you is that you are gonna face situations, if not today, definitely tomorrow, where you're gonna be tempted to respond quickly. You're gonna have an emotional response in that moment. There's gonna be stuff that happens in our world, like the Steelers are gonna beat the Browns tomorrow, and you're gonna like gloat in pride to all of your friends who are Browns fans. And God said, be gentle as you communicate to them that they lost. I'm just joking. But you're gonna have opportunities this week to practice this, I promise. And my hope for you is that you don't just do business as usual. You don't just go through the motions and respond in the way the rest of the world does. But you can pause before you proceed. You can listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You can learn what God's word, the Bible, what it says about that. And then then you can live out your life based on those two things. Because as you do that, I promise you, life won't get easier, but it will become more purposeful, number one. And number two, you're gonna start to see glimpses of heaven here on earth around you that the pain, the chaos, the uncertainty, and the confusion of our world 
starts in little glimpses, starts to come into to, to view. There starts to be a little more clarity. Why? Because you're adopting this God perspective. You're not just living your life based on what everyone else says you should do or society says you should do. You're basing it on what God says you should do. And God has a bigger picture. So as we close this morning, I wanna pray. As we pray, I wanna pray that the Holy Spirit would remind you, that he would prompt you, that he would put in your mind and your focus throughout this week, when you face those situations, I need to pause before I proceed. I need to stop. That might mean you saying to one of your coworkers, hey, before we have this conversation, can you give me like a minute and you walk out of the room and you say, Holy Spirit, lead me and direct me. You might not have time to go through your Bible, but God, help me proceed in a way that lines up with what the Bible says I should do and how I should live. And God, help me, remind me of your word that I've hidden in my heart so that I can lead and live and respond in a way that, that is in line with what you want. That's what that might mean. And I wanna pray that the Holy Spirit would prompt you and remind you in those moments. Would you bow your heads with me today? Lord, I thank you. God, I thank you for your truth. God, that you don't beat around the bush, but you said that we're gonna have trouble in this world. You didn't try to sugarcoat it. You didn't try to water it down. You didn't try to make us feel all warm and fuzzy. But you were real that we're gonna face trouble. But I thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us on our own, that your Holy Spirit guides us, your word leads us, that your word can be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, I pray this week, as each of us that are here, those watching online, as we face opportunities to respond about bigger things that happen in our world, about smaller things that might happen in our workplace, about issues that come up in our family, and and we're tempted to respond quickly. God, help us before we proceed to pause. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Prompt us, guide us. Lord, I pray that you would lead us to to the right principles in your word that we would, you would lead us to the right stories in your word, even if it's the, with the help of someone else, that we could live out our lives in a way that, that is true to your promptings, your leadings, your purposes, that we could paint this beautiful picture that you are painting in this world. God, I pray you would let us be catalysts for change in our world, that we aren't simply Christians wearing a title, wearing a, a label, but Lord, that we are active in the middle of the mess changing the world as it sits that we can be part of working all things for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purpose go with us empower us remind us and equip us in jesus name amen this is pastor nick pole the lead pastor at calvary we're so glad you joined us for today's podcast I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 